0: Today on Telecom Careers Insiders, we're going to be taking a look at the inside trends driving the demand for RF engineers. But first, a few words from our sponsors, Nexius and Telecom Careers.
1: Nexius, accelerating network and business transformation. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board telecomcareers.com.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Telecom Careers Insider. By the way, we changed the name from Inside Telecom Careers to Telecom Careers Insider. I'm your host, Jeff Mucci, broadcasting live from the Computer Museum here in Mountain View, California, where RCR Wireless News is covering the uh, Telecom Council of Silicon Valley's TC3 annual event. I encourage you to check out some of the interviews we have on uh, on our website. Uh, We've got exclusive interviews with The venture arms of SK Telecom and Nokia Group Partners, Sprint. Uh, We also had a great interview yesterday with uh, AMDOC's Head of Innovation. We've got several uh, CEO one-on-one interviews, so check it out. It's a great facility, great event going on here in uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, Today's topic is RF engineering. When I looked at Indeed yesterday, Indeed has over 5,300 RF engineer-related jobs open on their website, covering everything from RF design engineer at C Spire, which is a regional carrier. Uh, to an RF analog system engineer at NXP, which NXP just recently bought uh, a free scale. And then there's a hardware test and validation engineer at consumer hardware and consumer hardware division at Google. So um, here to help us sort out the different types of opportunities within the RF engineering field. We have uh, Ben Wilhelm, who is um, founder and uh, president of Blue Flux based in Louisville, Colorado. Ben, thanks for joining us today.
1: Good morning, uh, Jeff. Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Well, I think I I botched your name there. So uh, how do you pronounce your last name? No problem, it's Wilmhoff. Okay, good. Um, Well, Ben, we usually open the show with a rundown of recent workforce-related news. Uh, Today, however, I wanna talk about an emerging trend that I believe will soon be uh, more prevalent in the news. And more importantly, it's a trend that speaks directly to our topic today, RF engineering. And the trend is, is really about RF interference. And I wanna give you some context and give our viewers some context about uh, why this is impacting me as a, as a consumer. Well, uh, first of all, uh, RCR Wireless, uh, we're gonna be doing a review of this um, Verizon Jetpack um, hotspot. And when I got a press release on this a couple weeks ago, I immediately said, yeah, please send me one because it's a Netgear device. And they talked about being a dual band 802.11 AC device. So I'm gonna come back to this in just a minute Uh, but the short version is when i opened it up yesterday here at the computer museum we're hoping to be uploading uh video and lo and behold i tuned into the 2.4 gigahertz channel and uh did a quick speed test and the speed uh, download was 10 megabits per second and the upload was like 12 megabits per second and uh, this is a dual band 80211 ac device it's lt advanced compatible so i was really expecting speeds of uh you know, 130, 140 megabits per second, and uh, was frankly surprised, but it does speak to some of my, um, uh, I guess, other experience recently with RF interference and why I think this is a a trend that people are gonna be much more aware about going forward. So another example, yesterday we were setting up to videotape our main stage presentations here at this event, and guess what, our, uh, you know, $900 uh, wireless microphones uh, were, it experiences so much interference we couldn't use them so we had to scramble to get a cable and plug it into our camera and we experienced that on our other stage um, but when it really hit home what i, I mean really hit home is uh, i pay 70 dollars a month at home for grande communications gigabit service and uh when we first got it it was uh, fantastic i was getting speeds on on my wi-fi network of seven eight hundred meg down and Extraordinary speeds up and uh, I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, over time, this speed has just degraded. And finally, it got so bad, I called the tech out and the tech had this little test device uh, bin. And and what he showed me was all the neighboring uh, hotspots and uh, the Wi-Fi hotspots in, in my in the neighborhood. And you could see the interference coming from all the other 2.4 um, uh, 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 bands that were being used in the area, and we switched over to, to the 5G and immediately things improved greatly. And then uh, I go back to the office where we have a uh, gigapower service in two of our suites uh, getting paid $74 a month for gigabit uh, Gigapower type service from AT&T. And over time, we've seen a degradation of service there. And sure enough, uh, while I didn't have the, the spectrum analyzer to look at uh, which bands were inherently uh, interfering with each other, I suspect it's the same issue. And the tech came out and swapped out the router and um, uh, the access point rebooted it up and he said, Jeff, you really need to uh, be careful about which devices you allow to be on the five gigahertz channel and which um, devices you allow to operate on the uh, 2.4 gigahertz channel. And it became crystal clear to me that um, um, The device has to be 802.11ac enabled to really get the 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 maximum performance out of these new access points and then your computer so i've got an older macbook air that has um, 802.11n it's not ac enabled so i'm never going to experience the full benefit of uh some of these new technologies coming out more specifically i'm never going to experience the true value of of gigabit service so i'm going to pause for a minute ben and uh, again thank you for coming but i would love to get kind of your commentary on on this emerging trend of RF interference and how big a deal do you think it is?
1: So Spectrum is, uh, it's it's more valuable than than water and oil. Um, what you're seeing is, you know, you're seeing the impacts of, of a whole lot of people trying to access a really, really precious resource and it's not a commodity, it is a resource. Um, look, look what happened in, you know, 2010 when <clears throat> the FCC auctioned off, you know, parts of the 700 megahertz band and now they're talking about auctioning off parts of the 600 megahertz band for mobile telecommunications. Um, I think the FCC raised something like 13 billion in that original 2010 auction. Spectrum yeah. is really, really valuable and it's really, really important.
0: Well, uh, to help us understand RF engineering and, and, and walk us through your shoes. Talk us talk about your career, um, and, and but first talk about your education.
1: Oh, okay, so thank you. Um, so, I've got a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and a master's degree in electrical engineering with uh, an emphasis on electromagnetics. After finishing my master's degree at Michigan State, I moved to Colorado for a job in the defense aerospace industry as, a, uh, as, a, as an antenna and electromagnetic designer for um, mostly aircraft. Uh, it took me about two and a half years to realize that I'm not a big company guy. Uh, very quickly moved into a, a role at a much smaller organization, but still in the, in the defense airspace industry. I was there for seven and a half years before becoming kind of weary of the, of the pace of defense airspace. In the beginning of 2013, I had the opportunity to build an RF product development group for a small, very well-funded Colorado technology incubator lab. Um, the company was focused on, on making the mobile experience better for consumers through technology. Uh, the group that I built was was focused on the mobile experience as it relates to connectivity and signals. Um, in fact, we my group ended up getting a, a patent out of some really interesting technology in that space. Um, but, but basically, our our role was to, to help people reach further out from a cell tower. Um, and in that role, I built a great team. I put together an awesome lab, uh, an anechoic test facility, which includes mobile device over-the-air testing, um, and we set out to develop some great technology. And the, the fun part was working at light speed with an awesome team. And by the way, almost every one of the folks that I hired in that role are here with me now at Blue Flux. Yeah. Well,
0: talk about, uh, you know, what, what was the catalyst for you to start Blue Flux? Um, you're based in Louisville. Why'd you pick Louisville and why'd you start a company?
1: So uh, Blue Flux is actually um, uh, very closely related to the, the company that we, that we came from. Um, in the first year as a, as a technology group, we got really, really interested in what was happening in the indoor navigation space. Um, a bunch of companies were talking about you know, mobile device positioning using Wi-Fi signals, magnetic fields, acoustics, cameras, cell tower positioning, and probably some more techniques that I'm forgetting now. Our interest, um, and by the way this is still with the company that we were with before Blueflex, uh, our interest was developing a solution for, for the public safety space. Um, we knew that developing an advanced technology for public safety and even military communities could eventually be scaled to consumer applications. So it's, an, it's a profitable business and it, it, it's an important problem to solve. So if you fast forward to the end of 2013, uh, that company that I had built this lab for um, decided to close its operations but our lab had done some really, really cool stuff. There was a big investment made into our assets and we put together a business plan into that company's original investor around leveraging our existing personnel and assets uh, as an engineering service business to offset some of the costs of developing this amazing life-saving technology for the first responder.
0: Um, you know, Blue Fox, I'm, I'm on your website here and you talk about it. It's not just about the cellular industry you mentioned public safety before you mentioned mentioned av aviation how pervasive is is RF engineering
1: and, and the need for testing so um as long as we're delivering data and and from point a to point b and we have you know proliferation of sensors gathering everything from uh you know weather to um you know things that make our, our cities more efficient to you know being able to uh download and have video calls like this on a high speed train that by the way which is probably one of the most difficult RF engineering challenges there is um as long as we have a demand for that there's gonna be a role for an RF engineer and, and in my opinion you know RF engineering is I think can be broken down into three um Critical pieces of a chain. The first is the antenna. The second is the RF front-end module, which includes, you know, amplification, filtering, and switching. And then you've got, you know, the RF signal processing piece, which is down conversion and, uh, you know, media access control and and things like that. To me, the ideal RF engineer is a is a person that can speak those three different parts of that language, while remembering that the purpose of an RF RF device is to deliver data and an experience to a user.
0: Got it, and those three areas again were the The antenna?
1: antenna? The RF front end which is amplification filtering and switching and then of course the, you know, the transceiver module which converts, you know, over the air signals to to waveforms and eventually bytes and bits and eventually to a user application or a user interface.
0: Well, you mentioned Anticode Chambers. Um, talk about what a chamber does and and why it's important
1: to have a CTI certification. So let let's put um, the the work that we do here at, at in uh, kind of into context. Yep. Um, if if you're launching a wireless product, at some point you're you're selecting a wireless transceiver module. Um, you're doing a board layout. You're designing and integrating antennas and then you're doing over the air testing, FCC testing and carrier certification. Mm -hmm. Um, As the wireless product designer, a few of those tasks um, require some pretty special skills. For example, the the antenna design and layout and matching piece and then the over the air test piece. Over the air testing basically means that you are putting a mobile device through the same set of uh, tests, parameters and conditions that it would see when it's actually talking to a tower. And it's necessary uh, if, you're, if you're trying to get a, you know, an IOT or M2M device or a custom tablet or a cell phone, um, any, any device that talks to a carrier network, for example, is going to have to go through over the air testing. Different carriers have different standards and different protocols, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to subject your device to these tests and maintain some pretty strict standards on performance. The really, really difficult piece for a wireless product designer is knowing what to do when your product doesn't meet those standards. And that's that's really the, what differentiates Blue Flux as both an antenna company and as both an over-the-air test company.
0: Uh, how many employees do you have today? And, and maybe walk us through the different types of skill sets each of them have and where they fit into that, that test process.
1: Okay, sure. So, um, So keep in mind, we've got an engineering services business and we've got an internal r&d business which is essentially being funded by our engineering services business. On the engineering service side, uh, we've got six six engineers and technicians and their their roles are you know uh, electromagnetic design, rf design and rf, you know, matching, filtering, um, rf systems design for for mobile wireless devices. We've got two dedicated test technicians or test engineers uh, who, by the way, are going to be going through the CTIA certification process next week. Very got exciting it. for us. Um, and then on our R and D side, we've got embedded designers, RF systems architects, um, and RF hardware designers.
0: So, um, what does a typical day look like for for and pick any one of those or a couple of those? What's a typical day look like for an art engineer?
1: Okay, so. It might make a little bit of sense to talk about a few of the projects that we have going on to kind of put that into context a little bit. Um, particularly on the engineering services side, we are supporting companies who are doing work in um, RTLS, so real-time location system technology, and low-power sensing technology using ultra-wideband. Uh, we are we are supporting companies who are who are building wearable devices. We're supporting companies that are building. Um, you know, cellular connected or or WLAN connected devices such as Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. One of the one of the big challenges we see is you know software and app developers who are designing you know uh, uh, a kind of a, a device using a lot of off-the-shelf parts. And you go in and you try to make a a product really small and really beautiful, and you you basically break its performance. So a lot of what we do day to day is helping recover. Performance that um, that you know a, a non-RF guy might uh, might cause to his to his product. Um, a lot of the work we do, we rely on electromagnetic modeling tools and simulation. Um, you know, these days, electromagnetic modeling tools are, are really really good. They're really accurate, and we we actually rely on them quite a bit for um, a lot of our initial work. Um, typical day, one of our engineers. Um, could could be found doing kind of one of four things: RF and electromagnetic design, um, overseeing prototype construction, you know, participating in testing and analyzing test data and model data, and then project management and client interface. I, I believe in giving engineers kind of access to a full spectrum of tasks at a, at an early point in their career.
0: So how you mentioned design, how involved a prototype design actually? Um, um, and, and you mentioned. Oftentimes, the designers and have developers break the performance of a device, trying to make things something look ergonomically beautiful or usable. Um, how involved are you on the very front end uh, with some of your customers on the the original design of, of prototypes versus post broken? Go back to the drawing. Right,
1: right. So we um, some of our really, really exciting and longer term work is done uh, is going on right now, where we're starting from scratch helping really really important clients uh, all of our clients are important but but you know, obviously some of the bigger clients you know have the budget to, to invest in you know dis- wow. starting a design completely from scratch. Um, you may have seen that we we supported Google actually in a project called Soli for a, a low power wearable radar sensor uh, we literally started from scratch on the on the RF piece of RF front-end hardware and, and in, in about a year, um, help them deliver some prototypes, which uh, some of which were seen at Google I/O on May 29th. Got it.
0: And uh, Luflex recently announced that you created uh, your own patent that improves cell coverage. Uh, can you talk a bit about that patent?
1: Yeah, it's very exciting. So we've we've been exposed to and we've seen uh, a couple of technologies that that sort of claim to improve cell phone signal strength, and and there is some merit to some of these technologies. But a lot of them uh, kind of fall short in our opinion. They don't really deliver an experience which is noticeable to the user and and to the consumer. Um, our our task and our job was to, to develop and deliver a technology that would measurably and Im- observably improve cell phone signal strength. So how do you do that? You do that by increasing bars. And how do you increase bars? You've got to increase the amount of power that's being delivered to the cell phone antenna terminals. Um, As it turns out, there is a dramatic amount of energy that is lost and absorbed by the human head and the human hands. It's not unsafe, but it's an amount of energy that that very much perturbs and changes the way that the cell phone operates. Our job, uh, we we knew that the low hanging fruit was gonna be eliminate the effect of the head and the hands on the cell phone signal performance. And so we did that by, by kind of three key pieces. One is uh, an electromagnetic coupling technology, one is a signal routing technology, and one is, uh, the third is, a, is an external re-radiation antenna that, that cha- literally changes the place in space where radiation comes from, uh, avoiding the, the interference to the head and to the hands. Changing the place. Yeah, literally changes, it's <laughs> changing the phase center. It changes the phase center of radiation of the internal cell phone antennas because otherwise you're losing energy to the head and to the hands and the antennas, the antennas themselves are being detuned by, by the body. Um, the human body is uh, looks like a, a large piece of dielectric. By the way, a piece of dielectric gets very lossy and absorptive because we have water. Water interacts, water yeah. and fat tissue interact with waves. And so we've figured out a way to mitigate that interaction.
0: So if I lose some weight, will my phone perform better? actually actually it might
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah, I remember a couple of years ago uh, Apple uh, rolled out a phone and there were some complaints about the um, the way it performed
1: yeah they had,
0: had to do some redesign um, I know you don't want to talk about anything specific but effectively what was happening there uh, yes yeah,
1: so great that? great example so that was by the way in the in in the antenna world they call that antenna gate um, yeah it was It was probably one of the first times that it got to be cool and high profile to be an antenna and RF designer. Um, What happened was Apple started using the external band, you know, the metal band around uh, the iPhone. I think four, five, and yeah, I think the four and the five. They started using that as a as a key part of the antenna, and effectively they were they were launching signals directly onto that band in a way that made that, that band very sensitive to being touched and interacted with by the human skin. As it turned out, there was a really, really easy fix for it, which was just put a, a small little silicon bumper around the band to just get your fingers just slightly away from from that band. And that actually fixed the problem. Um, if, if you look at the antenna architectures in the, in the iPhone 5, they're they, they look to be the same from the outside, but they're actually quite a bit different in that they don't drive that metal band directly. Got it. Um, at the top of the show, I mentioned that if you
0: go to Indeed and type in RF engineer, you're gonna see 5,300 ARF engineering jobs. Uh, what, what are the key trends that are having the greatest impact on, on the demand for
1: ARF engineers today? Um, so I think, I think, first of all, uh, MIMO. Is is a really an important trend. Um, it's kind of a it's a niche you know it's a it's a it's a niche technology, but it's one of those technologies that is going to seriously impact um, the amount of spectrum that we have available. Not really the amount of spectrum, but our our use of the spectrum in an efficient manner. Um, uh, there you know there are a lot of reference designs out there for. Um, you know, radio transceiver modules and, you know, everything from Bluetooth to cellular. Product, I kind of mentioned this before, product designers have the ability to go off the shelf and select, you know, a reference designer or a reference module and and without a whole lot of hassle, put together a wireless product. Um, Where the problems come in and where the opportunities are for RF guys is being able to help fix the problems that occur when you integrate some of those, you know, relatively simple off-the-shelf modules into actual beautiful products. There's an opportunity there. Um, and I think another another trend really is the miniaturization of electronics uh, for wearable devices. Um, you know, small electronics are very, very sensitive to the things that are around them. Uh, they're very, very sensitive to power draw. And so an RF engineer who can understand, you know, a product design and aesthetics, but also can can you know, work within the bounds and, and deliver really, really small and power-efficient products is, uh, is a very valuable person.
0: So, I mean, and my next question was, what specific skills are in the greatest uh, demand? Um, you know, uh, talk a little bit more about you know that skill set and and where people uh, gain experience uh, uh, around that skill set. Is it something taught in college? Is it something at a technical school? Is it on the job? So, go into a little more detail about some of those skill sets that are in the greatest demand.
1: So, um, so first of all, the skills that are in greatest demand. My message to a young engineer, would, who is interested in RF, would be to learn as much about the air interface of the technology that you're working with as you can. So, if it's cellular, if it's if it's Wi-Fi, uh, even Bluetooth, learn as much about that air interface as you can, because the interaction between the antenna, the RF front end the transceiver and then the air interface is really, really critical. And a person that can speak all three or four of those languages is, is an extremely valuable person. Um, that's not gonna happen overnight. And, and I'll admit, even in my own career, uh, I chose to go to, to get a master's degree because I felt like I needed to learn more before I presented myself to the world as, a, as an employee. Um, As far as where to get further training and certification, I have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of IEEE publications. They offer a tremendous amount of of content, either for free or for a a really pretty reasonable price. Um, For the RF person, I think that the most relevant IEEE societies are going to be microwave theory and techniques, antennas and propagation, and COMSOC, which is the communications society. And I'll tell you, COMSOC does a great job of offering almost every week they've got a different online course or a free course everything from you know the fundamentals of wireless communications to network virtualization in the cloud to indoor posi- indoor positioning techniques so i think um, as as a young engineer i would i would really recommend joining IEEE and staying ahead of those of those trends got
0: it and and you had a, a, a undergrad in electrical engineering masters in electrical engineering as you're going through those curriculums of, is 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 wireless engineering and RF engineering a core part of uh, electrical engineering, or is it an elective track that you have to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on RF engineering?
1: You know that's that's interesting. It wasn't it wasn't 15 years ago when I was when I was doing my undergrad and then my, my master's degree, but there are a handful of institutions across the U.S. that are uh, starting to to kind of pick up on the trend. Of offering wireless telecommunications as a as a separate track in and of itself, uh, I would say one of the pioneers in this is uh, Virginia Tech. They they actually have a, a specialty telecoms career, and a handful of other schools are really picking up on this. I think it's critical. There are so many aspects, there are so many pieces of a of a cell. Just take a cell phone, for example, that you you almost it, it would take you a lifetime uh, of different courses and coursework to try to figure these things out. And the fact that some institutions are starting to offer this as a as a specialty track, I think, is I mean, it's fantastic. I wish I would have had it when I was when I was in college. Now you mentioned a few minutes ago that if, if
0: someone had this tri speak that included uh, understanding of air interfaces, they would be incredibly valuable. Talk a little bit about just how valuable they might be in terms of real compensation in today's marketplace. Yeah,
1: so I think you know.
0: And by um, the way, I know none of your employees are watching this, so we're not going to skew your, your your compensation curve. But I. Am, yeah.
1: Yeah. they are. Yeah, so a lot, so some of it depends on um, obviously your level of education and and, and years of experience, et cetera. Um, I think that, um, you know, a, a person, so a person that can speak all three um, pieces of that, of that design are going to advance substantially faster than for example, a dedicated embedded designer, a dedicated software designer, um, or, or even uh, a sort of a dedicated RF Hardware designer, because a, a person you know that understands really from soup to nuts all aspects of RF, you know, over-the-air uh, communications and then signal processing. Um, that's that's really a person that you know has has studied and has, has been around this stuff maybe for a couple of years, and has uh, probably done a lot of self-teaching. I think it says a lot about their their aptitude, and they're they're compensated for it. There's there's no doubt. Um, I mean, just as an example, in this area, a person, um, you know, with, with, with all of those skill sets could could fairly easily command somewhere in the, in the you know, in the mid-100s um, for, for a salary. Got it. And um,
0: when at, the, at the top of the show, I talked about an ARC engineer at a regional carrier. Uh, I talked about the an RF hardware and software engineer at NXP, which is a chip company, and then a hardware and software type engineer, RF engineer at, at Google. Uh, how different are those jobs? And because um, um, for the outside person, that's an RF engineer, but you're are yeah. a carrier versus a chip company versus a Google, which uh, plays in both hardware and software.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um, you know that that is. RF looks to be just like RF to, to the outsider. Um, certainly, from the chip perspective, you're most likely looking at a person who is dealing a lot with the specifics of the air interface. Um, you know, media access control. Um, probably doing a lot with uh, MIMO, trying to kind of recover the effects of multipath. And honestly, those those folks are um, of the mindset that I can get away with. Um, I can get away with subpar antenna designs and RF front-end designs because I can just fix it all in in software and in firmware. The other end of the spectrum, um, we've actually we've actually come across some really really talented RF hardware folks, uh, even from Google. Google's got some really amazing things going on in terms of, you know, the, the driverless car, for example. I mean, that has nothing to do well, some some something to do with communications, but there is a lot of work in radar going on. there, There's a lot of work in millimeter. You know, we're talking about frequent, you know, frequencies that at, at one point were were pioneering territory are now being used in consumer applications. That's that's amazing. Um, millimeter wave spectrum, 70 and 80 gigahertz. These are really, really exciting frontiers for in the RF space.
0: Um, you mentioned reference designs early on, and, and so here at the uh, computer museum where we're at and this this conference we're we're attending, uh, several of the, the CEOs have talked about you know, reference stacks and, and just grabbing something off the shelf and using it in uh, embedded design. What is a, a reference stack? And, and I mean, what is it? Uh, and and sure. how do you know which one's good or not good uh, for using the product design?
1: Sure, so from, from, in my world, a reference design means that um, I can take an off the shelf radio transceiver module that has already been uh, approved by the FCC and perhaps even an off the shelf antenna design and basically plug it into um, you know an application interface, inject whatever the user interface that that I require essentially onto that board, and I can walk away with uh, a product that may not be in its final enclosure, but a small you know software and app team can basically launch a wireless product using all off-the-shelf reference parts and reference modules. Um, where where it gets to be interesting from an RF perspective is. You know, what happens when you, you take that, that reference product and you put it into a, 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 you know, a different enclosure? You actually need to put it inside a real product, um, that, a product that will change the performance of some of those parts and some of those pieces. That's where you talk about, you know, now you've got to um, do some modifications, you've got to basically optimize and maybe even a redesign. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges that we see a lot here at, at our company is uh, starting with an off-the-shelf antenna design. With you that's plugged into a, a a reference transceiver module as soon as you make a, a small change to an antenna even even one that um, would tend to reduce the amount of output power uh, that could potentially trigger an FCC recertification effort so it could be very very expensive um, my my advice would be to um, uh, check with an expert if you have any question whether or not your change or modification is going to trigger some further FCC testing.
0: Well, Ben, we are out of time. Uh, I think we've just scratched the surface and and really the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, the whole RF engineering, testing and design uh, discussion, but we appreciate your time. I know, um, uh, thank you for joining us today. And and readers, um, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, A couple things to think about, uh, check out on our website, some of the coverage here at the TC3 event. Uh, Also uh, coming up uh, on October 14th at the RCR ATX Studio Lounge. Uh, we're going to be hosting an IoT industrial IoT panel. This is going to be made up of uh, a senior VP from Silicon Labs. Uh, we're going to have um, one of the leading technology analysts in the country. Uh, we're going to have David Loebman, who is VP um, of Mobile Test from National Instruments. Uh, so we're looking for a real exciting uh, panel. And Ben, just as an FYI, that panel is going to re- really be talking about industrial IoT and some of the design, uh, test, and, 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 and the ongoing monitoring. Uh, that's required for industrial IoT implementation. So uh, thanks again for your time. Readers, thanks for joining us this week on Telecom Careers Insider. Have a great day. Thank you, Jeff.
1: To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic, you can reach him at jmucci at rcrwireless.com. For all telecom-related news and information, please visit rcrwireless.com. To connect with the industry's top talent, please visit telecomcareers.net.